I just really want to see if I can get um, some people to look into my case. Uh, so, please, if there's somebody in the media, or, 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 or I, I've seen so much double standards and cover-ups with politicians and 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 you know lawyers that are just just looking to make a is looking to make a fast buck when let's you know let's look at justice first let's get it you know let's get it right these people need to be taught a lesson welcome to council estate trash Keith MacDonald was born on a military base in Scotland in 1951. Being the black sheep of the family, he left home to be a rock and roll roadie in the 70s before landing a well-paid job inspecting oil and gas pipelines. He travelled all over the world and was well regarded as an engineer but also as somewhat of a maverick who got on well with people and was able to get things done. And I've been given given managers jobs and yeah, I go to my office but I mean I spend most of the time out with the guys on the site to give them assurances. In everywhere, in Nigeria, in Thailand, in Malaysia, I mean, all over the world, I've worked everywhere, and I've always had the guys on side that say, hey, let me show you something. This is an easy way to do the job, and it's much safer. Ooh, you've got their attention. You shout at them, and they just look at you with... Uh, but if you treat your people well, the people do a good job. They're efficient, they're safe. Statistics, there's no loss of money, there's no there's no compensation claims, it's because nobody's got hurt, no, you know, everything's safe. He started out on a pipeline in Wales and by 1977 was inspecting pipelines in the Libyan oil fields, then on to Saudi Arabia, followed by two years in the United Arab Emirates, overseeing the building of gas plants as quality assurance superintendent. During the 1990s he worked for Chevron as a senior company representative on a barge that was used to build and upgrade oil rigs. By the late 1990s, he was working in Oman. Keith was considered to have wide and valuable experience of the inspection and maintenance of oil field equipment. In the year 2000, when Keith was turning 49, he took a job in Syria, working for Al Farat Petroleum Company, which was under Shell. Keith felt like he had made it. He had no money worries, the loss of his four-and-a-half-year-old brother due to an accident and the resulting constraints of his anxious, concerned mother were far behind him. He was truly happy in his work. The case itself is, um, I was working in Syria in 2000. During that time in, I was in Syria, I've, I've worked all over the world over the years, but the gut-wrenching part of the Syria thing was um, I'd moved from Oman uh, to help Shell on a job which was joint ventured with the Alparat Petroleum Company, but all the supervisors in, in you know in the technical side, engineering side, were all Shell International supervision, and um, that that aside, we were taught that uh, as soon as we arrived there, basically it was uh, you have to be careful of some of the areas um, they have naturally occurring radiation material. You know, shortcut is norm, right? And so we had to do a, do a course on this norm, so that we were protected. We knew what we were entering and how to protect yourself. And oh, okay, good. So uh, I wasn't that familiar with it, but I mean, I I soon was after the course. It was like it was, 
something like a forty hour course over 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 a couple of days anyway. By this time, Keith had seen gas and oil pipelines on three different continents, but he immediately noticed something was very different about this oil field. He describes barbed wire fences surrounding the wellheads, yellow caution tape on either side of these fences, and signs in English that read, Do not enter, radiation. Keith was also required to complete a 40-hour course on naturally occurring radioactive materials, or NORM for short. It was a topic he had heard of, but not something he had completed formal training on before. If you could call it that. The examination Keith had to pass at the end of the course already had all of the correct answers filled in. On the 1st of August 2000, Keith was called out to check on a well. He was transported there in a company SUV, arriving in late morning with high temperatures and dry weather. A piece of the pipe connected to the wellhead was corroded and would need to be replaced. Keith was told by his boss, a Shell official, that the pipe had to be fixed quickly because the well was a big producer. In order to inspect the pipe, Keith had to put his hands inside the valve and feel around for corrosion on the seal. He had on standard work boots and coveralls, no gloves or respirator. So we were pretty well clued up when we got there. And uh, I'd been there a few years, a few years, sorry. I'd been there for a few, a few months and my boss uh, said to me one day, he said, Keith, uh, he said, you're not busy. He said, um, Time 107 is a is a is a pretty good well um it's a good producer so uh can you go out there they're doing some repair work on some of the piping off the wellhead um so, you know see if you can get it moving and sort of uh you know make sure it's done all right i said yeah yeah fine i've got nothing else i've got nothing else lined up for the moment so i went out there and uh you know sort of prior to you you visiting the site especially if it was a norm site all the all the wellheads had to have tape around it with radioactive area do not enter always wear your pp and personal protective equipment yeah and uh, you're not supposed to enter it if you don't have the stuff it's fine we got out to the site and there's there all the guys are out there busy 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 <laughs> oil and water air all over the place well, i mean that would do the deal that get cleaned up later but so I said, um, I was looking at some of the pipe and it was there for oh, all in all about just over three hours. And I talked to some of the supervisors and they weren't doing a bad job. So uh, anyway, one of the supervisors comes to me and says, Mr. Keith, he said, can you take a look at this, uh, uh, take a look at this valve that we've got on the wellhead? And I said, what's the matter with it? He said, well, maybe it's a little worn. Maybe we need to replace it. And I said, well, do we have a replacement valve? Um, no, I said, ah, okay, all right, we'll, we'll have to pressure test it, and uh, we want to get this well back on soon, so um, we'll pressure test it, run it to one and a half times the working pressure, you know, you know in, a short, in a short time, and then uh, we'll get it back on stream. He says, oh, over there. Be nice, he said, if we could uh, get it get it ready, and I'll go over and have a cuppa. Um, well, once you've got it up to pressure, he, you know, let me come out. I'll witness it, sign it off, and, and we go from there. Okay. So I sit in, in the cabin and lots of paper on the desk and see. This was just, you know, job site sort of uh, job site cabin. You know, not an official office as such, but I see it on the desk under a, under a bunch of paper. And being the nosy person that I am, what's this? I looked at it. Radiological report 
and oh oh my god 6336 counts per second on beta radiation now beta radiation can give you some pretty horrible burns i mean it could easily be con uh, confused with with sunburn but the thing is this these over the long term is not so much what you can see you can you could have it removed you could have it you know sort of medical treatment and all the rest of it but you inhale or ingest through the saliva in your mouth or in your nostrils or whatever you ingest that stuff and there's no knowing what could happen to you internally and how long it would take if it manifested any form of cancer Papers on the desk happened to catch Keith's eye, one of which was a radiological survey and non-precaution report. It showed that that morning, a radioactivity inspection had been conducted at the well, and the numbers were off the charts. The report stated that in order to work on the site, rubber gloves, rubber boots, goggles, an impervious coverall, and air-supplied respiratory equipment were required, and the area was to be protected by warning signs and workers tested for contamination before leaving the radioactive area. Keith immediately realised the harm he had so quickly and silently caused to his own body. He was furious that his seemingly trustworthy superiors at Shell had said nothing to him, but also that the workers there were exposed to this incredibly harmful contaminant. He dashed outside to ask the Syrian workers if they knew there was radiation there. They looked at him like he just landed from Mars, he says. They had no idea what he was talking about. So Keith got the impression that they had been kept in the dark. That afternoon, Keith filed his report detailing his visit, but also how protection of personnel and the environment had not been applied in line with Shell Company policy. Keith tried to get colleagues to listen to his concerns, but says he was treated like an outcast. In November of that year, the company responsible for the well wrote to Keith's boss describing him as a disruptive influence and advises them to terminate this individual immediately. I'm going, oh, yeah, I got out of that place. I ran out there. Get out of here, guys. Get out of here. Do you know about this radiation? He goes, what? I said, do you know about the radiation? I said, I didn't know what I was talking about. Now, there was about 20, maybe a few more people on the job site, and they just looked at me like I just landed from Mars. You know, like, radiation? These were Syrians. So, I mean, they were, I suppose you could say, it's, it's a horrible way to describe it, but... They were disposable, you know. People didn't, they didn't care about them, but I thought to myself, I got to get these people out of here. I mean, I've always worked in a safe way. I got appraisals and all kinds of recommendations from other companies that I worked for, you know, over forty-two years, and I've always been efficient, safe, and work in the company's interest. But that's not shortcut here. There's, you know, people's lives are at risk. So I get back to the office and I go to my boss and I said, "Excuse me, what the hell do you think you're playing at?" What? I said, why didn't you tell me that place was alive with radiation? And all that sort of really negative attitude. And I said, well, I want an investigation, and I'm going to write up an incident report, and this can't be allowed to go. I mean, this is crazy. And so I wrote the report up, and he signed it. <laughs> My boss signed it. And I uh, agree with your comments, and we need to look into this, and all this. And I write, okay, so the investigation uh, Various documents. I've got a dossier full of documents, <laughs> and it it doesn't bear thinking about. I mean, talk about shortcutting. Anyway, all this was going down, and uh, they said they did an investigation. Now then, why would the people who were supposed to prevent it happening 
be doing the investigation? Why was there no independent person there to do that? No, this was the beginnings of a cover-up. And, oh, there's also, oh, yeah, you, you didn't go by the rules. And break. I mean, what? I couldn't believe this. And when I got back to the UK, I had to go and get um, some advice on medical side, legal side, rest of it. And, you know, Shell have a policy that they are committed to ensuring a safe working place for everybody. I mean, contractors and employees, joint venture partners, you know, the whole caboodle. Well, it just goes to show that words are not always enforceable on a, on a policy document because to this day, and I'm talking like 19 years, 19 years later, I am still, I've had 10, 10 procedures for the removal of skin cancer. Keith had already led a colourful life prior to his senior roles in the oil and gas industry. He was born on a military base in 1951 in Scotland. A freak accident led to the death of his four-and-a-half-year-old brother, who fell a hundred foot off a cliff chasing after a football. Understandably, his mother was left anxious, medicated and very protective of Keith. Feeling stifled, Keith left home and fell into a career setting up equipment for popular acts in the 70s like Elton John, Rod Stewart and Santana. He wasn't interested in the glamorous side or hanging out with the le- with the talent. Keith enjoyed the camaraderie that came with being on the road and hanging out with the guys. Speaking to him while researching this, he does have very fond memories of hanging out with the tremolos and says that they were brilliant fun. In 1975, Keith went along to a job interview with a mate, just for the fun of it. Keith met his first wife while working in the Philippines. They had set up home in the UK and had a son together called Alistair. Sadly, this marriage ended in the 1990s, mostly due to the long absences from home that came with the constant travel for work. In 2005, Keith was working in Malaysia. He had terrible nightmares about cancer spreading over his body. He was stressed and he was tired. One day he collapsed by the side of a busy street in the city of Kuala Lumpur. He was taken to hospital and fitted with a pacemaker. In 2006, while working in Thailand, Keith met Kay. She was a talented dancer working at a bar. Keith fell for her and they married and moved to the countryside north of Bangkok and lived on land owned by Kay's family. With the money Keith had saved and continued to earn, he built a five-bedroom house for his wife and her extended family. They had 40 acres of land where they produced rice and corn, kept chickens and pigs and were entirely self-sufficient. It sounds like paradise. In 2007, Keith and Kay welcomed a son to their family named Callum, and he was followed in 2009 by Scott. Keith felt like he was in heaven, living the dream after working hard to get there. Anyway, in 2005, I was in in Malaysia working, and uh, this had been eating away at me, eating away at me, sort of psychologically. And one day I just collapsed, totally flatlined, and they got me to the hospital, and uh, I was... I was covered by insurance, but I mean, they, they, you know, I had to have a pacemaker fit in because my heart rate was so bad because of the erratic nature of the heartbeat because of the stress. I was like this all day long. And uh, I get back to the UK and I go for a full medical and they said, uh, what are you got a pacemaker in there for? I said, well, I did, you know, put it in when I was in the hospital in KL. They said, uh, you know, they, I had to have it. He said, there's nothing wrong with your heartbeat. He says, you have got yourself into such a, a, 
an emotional state, stress. He says, the stress is going to kill you before the cancer if, if you keep this up. I have had one only, only recently taken out, out of the inside of my ear. So it's not like sunburn. <laughs> and all I get is, oh, well, um, we'll have to monitor you. And my dermatologist was convinced it, it was sunburn till I showed him the radiological report. And he just looked at it and went, oh, my God. He said, we, we have to make sure we get you checked internally. Bowels, lungs. Because what we can't see, how how will you, how can how can we treat it? And I'm I'm just like, oh, this is like stressing me out. However, his perfect life started to crumble before he had even begun to enjoy it. In 2010, Scott was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia. The next three years were spent in and out of hospital, receiving treatments. Keith describes driving past the hospital with Scott and how Scott would call out, Scott home. He says Scott was a happy, outgoing youngster who charmed the ladies wherever he went. Fortunately, Keith still had a well-paying job in Indonesia, working as a construction superintendent. His life savings and most of his monthly salary went on hospital bills. In 2013, Keith himself developed a subdermal tumour in his right forearm and had surgery to remove it. He is pictured at this time with Scott, both smiling a cheeky smile, with matching plasters and bald heads. Scott was given the all-clear with a 94% chance of survival. The next thing Keith knew was that Scott had relapsed and died, aged four and a half, the same age Keith's brother had died. He says this really knocked the guts out of him and that his own health took a turn for the worst. More cancerous lesions appeared and he returned alone to the UK for treatment. At first the cancerous lesions were attributed to UV exposure, working outdoors in the sun. I, I, 2009, my second little boy was born, and 14 months old, and my wife said to me one day, she said, Keith, Scott is uh, coming out with fever and sort of little bruises and stuff. Can we take him to the doctor tomorrow? I said, we won't wait till, till tomorrow. Let's take him to the hospital tonight. Went to the hospital. Yeah, we, um, you leave him with us um, for a couple of hours. We've got lots of tests. We have to run you know, all these blood tests and stuff. I said, okay. He said, you go home and we'll call you when we need you to come and pick him up if he's all right. I said, fine. Okay. I get back home, have a shower, have something to eat, thinking about Scott and thinking about Scott. I went, oh, he's all right. Anyway, I had a phone call. I went, oh, phone, right. Grabbed the phone. It was uh, it was a doctor in in the hospital, he said, we have to take him to Bangkok immediately, immediately. I said, well, what, get an ambulance. He said, don't worry about the cost of the ambulance. We'll take him to Bangkok immediately. I said, what do you suspect he's, he's got? He has acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And I'm going, oh, don't believe this. this is Christmas Eve, 2010. And we got into Bangkok and they were, um, they were marvelous. They were, Within 36 hours, he was on chemotherapy and rest of it. And over a three-year period and a, an awful lot of expense, we actually got him kind of cleared of leukemia. But what we didn't realize was that of a certain percentage, I mean, something like 4 to 6% of people, they suffer from a relapse. And sometimes the, the chemotherapy can basically stop organs, organs from functioning. 
Um, of course, you don't you, you don't get told that at the beginning. Anyway, three years later, 2013, Scott has a relapse and, and dies. And I am absolutely beside myself. I haven't been the same since. I mean, the last six years have been absolute hell. In 2018, a dermatologist assessing his case wrote that Keith's exposure to radioactive particles certainly could be a contributory factor in the development of his cancerous lesions. In his own research, Keith discovered evidence to suggest childhood leukaemia shared a potential link with a parent receiving a high dose of radiation. He is convinced Scott's leukaemia and his own cancers were a direct result of that exposure. Keith has made many attempts to try to gain acknowledgement and justice for what happened to him, but with no success. The onus is on him to prove the link to radioactive dust and damage to the DNA in his cells that has then led to this cancer and to cause the suffering and untimely death of his youngest son. To do so would require a background in medical science and a PhD in toxicology. He has been denied justice and acknowledgement at every turn. Bureaucratic bumps in the road and dismissive or even no responses have left Keith feeling worthless. He now lives alone in the UK. He is aiming to raise enough money to get back to Thailand where he would most certainly have a better quality of life. If one or both parents have been subjected to high doses of radiation, this can ultimately affect the, the blood chemistry, the cells, the cells mutate and it, it, it'll affect the, the reproductive cells that during, the, uh, during conception. And I stopped and I looked at myself and thinking, I've killed my own son. My DNA has transmitted damaged cells to him, unknown to us and unknown to me. I mean, I, 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 I had never been told that I had damaged cells, but it's just one of those things. It's not immediate. I didn't have any symptoms of radiation sickness or, or anything like that. But I mean, in the in the in the, you know the the dose over I mean over a, over a couple of hours and not knowing it was I mean if if I know you had all the PPR all the sort of all the PVC all the masks and you know and BA to make sure you were not going to get affected by radiation. But we were never told about it. We never. T I mean, this is just blatant gross negligence on on part of the supervision and it was it it has all up to this up to this time now i mean i'm on constant medication to try to keep me calm i've had beta blockers i've had all kinds of uh, psychiatric evaluation it, it's ripped my heart out which i didn't mind that i mean as long as i still had it but to lose all my money lose my family my wife and i we, were, we just couldn't live together because there, there was so much pain, so much stress, the rest of it. And now, all these years of working safely, and I become a victim, more so that I, I mean, I can scratch by here in the UK, but they're 7,000 miles away. And I, I weep like a baby every time I talk to them on the phone. I just so emotionally hurt by all this. And what I want is just for somebody, some expert. I mean, I don't believe that Lawyers want to get in, involved because they say, oh, well, it's a jurisdiction thing, and it's no. I said, no, it's an EU company. My people were working for a Dutch company, 
and we are in the EU, so surely there should be some kind of accountability, because I I've been left destitute. All my money went to pay for Scotty. Why can't we sort of get some kind of justification, punish the company for being so reckless? And they have a pretty Shell have a pretty lousy track record for safety. Uh, I've got all kinds of evidence to back it up. But at the end of the day, if we can stop it happening to somebody else, give me some some kind of um, justification, some uh, some compensation for my family, but also stop another family having to go through what I've gone through. If there's somebody out there that wants to get in touch with me on Twitter, on email, something, but just put in a comment and we can get in touch and let's expose the people that destroy lives before profit. You know, I mean, that's all it is. It's shortcut here, shortcut there. I mean, it happens all over the world. It's not, but I found that I worked for Chevron for, for a number of years and they were brilliant. They wouldn't allow you to share. They wouldn't allow any shortcuts. They would take advice from people on the, on the ground who were actually executing the job. And you talk to your engineers in the States on the phone or, but they would actually, actually listen to people who had done it, not talked about, designed it. Or I'd say to them, what sort of, uh, what sort of material are we putting through this line? Oh, it's, 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 I said, is it sour? Is it sweet? Is there mercury in it? Is, you know, what contaminants are in that? We've got to sort of build it to, to last at, at least for the life expectancy. And if it doesn't spill, there's no environmental damage, there's no corrosion, fine. But think, but use the knowledge that you've gained over the years. I mean, 42 years, 40, it'll probably be 43 years now of experience in the field. He speaks to Kay and Callum every day, often in tears for hours afterwards. Callum has a very positive outlook on life and tells Keith that Scott is okay, is not in pain and is with Buddha now. He is a keen footballer and would love to come to the UK to Manchester to train professionally. Keith has a fundraising page which you can find on his Twitter account. The pinned tweet is the article by Justin which provided a lot of the content in this podcast. Thank you for listening. I suggest that you read Justin's article, which explains a lot of the science, technical aspects of Keith's story, and as well as plentiful information about the companies involved, there are lots of images and much greater detail there than I could even begin to cover here. I won't walk on anymore because uh, I hope I've, I've held your interest, but thank you for being there and please don't hesitate to get in touch. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.